Uh, good morning, everybody. I might just pray before we begin. Lord, thank you for saving us. Thank you for bringing us into your family. Thank you for this opportunity to share your word. Please speak through me. Help me to speak well and help us all to listen well. I pray you do a great work in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. One day, when Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem, a man ran up to him. He bowed down in front of Jesus. And he said, Good teacher, what must I do to get eternal life? And Jesus replied, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't lie. Don't steal. Don't cheat. Honor your father and mother. And the, the man said, Oh, yes, teacher, I've done all these things since my youth. And then Jesus looked at the man and loved him. And he said, there's still one thing that you lack. Go and sell all that you have, give the money to the poor, and you will have riches in heaven. And then come and follow me. Well, at this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad. And Jesus turned to his disciples and said, Oh, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And Jesus' disciples were astonished at these words. And he said, My children, how hard it is for people who put their trust in wealth to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were even more shocked. And they said, well, then who can be saved? And Jesus said, with man it is impossible but with God, all things are possible. And Peter spoke up and said, Lord, we've left everything to follow you. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth. No one who has left father, mother, brother, sister, child, home, land, for my sake and for the gospel, will fail to receive a hundred times more in this life, father, fathers, mothers, brothers, sisters, children, homes, land, and with it, persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. That's the end of the Bible story. I have a a good friend I want to tell you about. Uh, a few years ago, I was helping in China at a camp for Tibetan teenagers. And uh, we were sitting there in a lounge room. It was the middle of winter, and we would go through uh, stories. And it was amazing to see these Tibetan teenagers. They were really shy at first. 
they'd come from really high altitude villages in the middle of nowhere. They would come down to this place almost at sea level and they would get uh, uh, low altitude sickness. They just wanted to sleep because their bodies were suddenly flooded with oxygen. And uh, so it took them a while to get used to uh, the sea level altitude. And we started to get closer and become friends. And what started out was really shy and weird. We ended up becoming very close. And I was going through the gospel with them from uh, the, the message of the Bible from creation to Christ, story by story by story. They'd never heard anything about it before, a lot of them. And I was really puzzled, like, how am I going to present the gospel to these, these, these people? They'd, they'd grown up Tibetan Buddhists, worshipping idols, didn't have any concept of, of God as we do. Anyway, uh, at the end of about four weeks of, of uh, Bible stories, bit by bit, building up a foundation from creation all the way to Christ and, and then uh, talking about the second coming and heaven and, and the new earth and the new heaven, things like this. Um, I was praying, what, what am I going to say to these people? And I felt like God told me to tell them two things at the very end as a challenge to follow Christ. And so I told them the story of the prodigal son and the story of the treasure hidden in the field. And my main message was, even though you've sinned, Jesus loves you more than you can imagine. And then the other part was, Jesus is the great treasure. And it's going to cost you everything to get this great treasure. And so I gave the uh, final call for response. I said, I'm not going to play any nice music. I'm not going to try to manipulate you. If you want to follow Jesus, just put your hand up. And this, this, young, this young boy, I, I warned them. I said, look, if you become a Christian, this is probably what will happen to you. Uh, probably your father and mother will reject you. Your father might beat you up. Uh, your teacher might slap you and rebuke you. In the future, if you get a job, your boss might sack you. Your girlfriend might leave you. And this one young boy... His hand went up like a rocket. Straight up. Everyone else hesitated. And went straight up. And he became a Christian that night. And after the camp was over, he went home and he told his parents he'd become a Christian. His father beat him up. He went to school. And, uh, him and some of his other friends who become Christians at the camp, they started to get teased and, and they decided they would, they would draw crosses on their backs of their shirts to show that they were Christians now. And, and sure enough, one of these teachers slapped him and said, you can't be a Christian, you're a Tibetan, you're meant to be a Buddhist. But Jesus had become his treasure. Now for a Tibetan, probably the biggest obstacle is not his Tibetan Buddhism, it's his parents. Because they have to please and obey their parents, that's their culture. And he told me that when he became a Christian, his mother became very sad because his mother said, you know, because you've done this, you have now endangered our whole family and now our whole family might go to hell because of you. Because you have angered the spirits. Because they have a mix of Buddhism with traditional kind of animist beliefs, worshipping different spirits and, 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 and mountain gods. And now you've endangered our whole family. But he was willing to pay this price of making his mum think that he was sending his whole family to hell. 
He was willing to be beaten by his father. He was willing to be slapped by his teacher and teased by his friends and whatever else was coming in the future because Jesus had become his treasure. Everything else paled in significance. He was not highly educated. He was not an esteemed person in that society. He was one of the despised people groups in China. He came from a nowhere place, but he still had something to lose. But us, we also have things to lose. And the more you have, the more reputation, the more money, the more you have to lose in following Christ. So let's have a look at this story. Let's have a look at what this young man's heart was like. Now we know from other Gospels that this young man was rich and young and he was a ruler. So by kind of anyone's standard, he had everything you want. If you're in a culture that worships youth, well, he was young. If you're in a culture that worships power, he had power. If you're in a culture that worships money, he had money. He had everything. And he was moral. So he comes to Jesus. He's an extraordinary man. He runs to him. He asks the right question. He bows down before him. He has such respect. He is, he's smart. He, asks the th- he doesn't say, give me a healing now, give me a sign. No, he says, how do I get eternal life. He asked the exact right question. And I think he was probably feeling pretty good about himself. But maybe he thought something was missing. Maybe he just wanted to make sure. And so as Jesus is running down the list, and it's very interesting, the commandments Jesus talked about were on the second tablet, all the ones to do with how you treat other people. He didn't talk about the ones about you and God. And I think he was waiting for the sucker punch. He was waiting to burst this guy's bubble. So he says, well, you know the commandments? And he goes through. Honor your father and mother, don't lie, don't steal, don't cheat, don't uh, don't murder, don't commit adultery. And the guy's like, yeah, tick, 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 tick. Yeah, 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 I can do this. Now, he should have already got a sense that something was up when Jesus said, why do you call me good? No one is good. It's like Jesus was going, wait a minute. I know what's up with this guy. He thinks he's good. And he's going out of this. He's like, yes, yes, I've done it. He's, he's like, oh, yeah. So he comes to Jesus probably with a little bit of sense of pride because he's trusting in himself. He's trusting in his riches. Because in that time, to be rich was seen as a blessing from God. If you are rich, that means God, is, God likes you. God likes what you're doing. You're doing the right thing because you're rich. Otherwise, how could you be rich? So... Then Jesus drops the bomb. Oh, you just lack one little thing. You just lack one thing. He's like, oh, okay, wonder what it is. Maybe I haven't been tithing properly. Oh, maybe my you know, Jewish attire is not right. Maybe you want to go to the temple. I'm missing one of the things. Just one thing. Sell all your possessions. <sighs> he goes from pride to despair. And this is always what happens when we think we can earn our way to heaven. This is always what happens. It's only one of two responses. Pride, yeah, I can do that. I'm a good person. I can reach my own low standard. I can get there. Or despair. I'm not good. I can't do that. Pride and despair. So he comes with pride and he leaves in despair because he thinks that he can get to God 
on his own merit. See, he asks, what do I need to do? What do I need to do? He should have come to Jesus and said, Jesus, have mercy on me, help me. But no, what do I need to do? I can do this. And Jesus drops that bomb. And think of what he missed out. Think of what he missed. All the people, you know, you hear people saying, I wish I was alive during Jesus' time so I could be there and see what happened. He was, he's there. Jesus says, come follow me. Might he have been one of the apostles? I don't know. We would know his name today if he would have said, okay, goodbye possessions, I'm following you, Jesus. But he couldn't. What a tragedy. The things he missed out on. The adventures, the memories, the significance, the history. He missed it all. It went back into obscurity and we don't even know his name now. In northern India, well, in different parts of India, there, there's a, a, tr- a trick to catching monkeys. You take a coconut and you make a hole just big enough for the monkey to reach its hand in. And then you put some... Uh, fruit or sugar or, or uh, some kind of candies in there and the monkey sticks its head and grabs it and then it can't get its hand out of the coconut because it's grasping onto the thing it's got. And then the hunter just sits and waits and comes back and there's the monkey. Now monkeys are pretty smart but they're very greedy. And so <laughs> the hunter just comes up behind the monkey like, it doesn't, see, it's not trapped by the coconut. It's trapped by an idea. Here's the idea. I can hold on to, the, to everything and be free. And we get trapped by an idea. I can grasp onto the things God gives me while rejecting God. I can treasure the things God has given me more than God himself and I'll be free. You're trapped. Like the monkey, you're trapped. Such a simple trick. And a lot of us have this idea. We can have both. I can treasure things above God and still get into the kingdom of God. But you don't want the kingdom of God because you don't even want God. And see, this rich young ruler, to me, it's kind of like maybe he saw God as like a genie who would give him stuff. And when he comes to ask that question, maybe he's thinking heaven is like another thing he can acquire. God has already blessed him with all this stuff. Well, let's see what I have to do for God to also give me eternal life. So maybe he thinks Jesus is like a genie who's going to give him treasure. But he's completely missed the plot. Jesus is the treasure. Jesus is not the genie who's going to give you treasure. Jesus is the treasure. And as soon as your focus gets on the things God has given you above God the giver, you've committed idolatry. So the point of this sermon is not mostly about the guy giving up his stuff. The point is, where was his treasure? Who was his treasure? You see, because... He had fallen in love with his things so much that he'd stopped loving God. He'd fallen in love with the gifts of God so much that his eyes were taken off God. And this is why today, all throughout the world, it's often the poorer people, 
the people of lower standard, the despised, the people without education, who come to Christ quicker and easier than those with wealth and reputation. In India, you have a caste system, all the way from the Brahmin, who are at the top, to what's called the Dalit, or the untouchables. The untouchables do the jobs like cleaning out toilets and things like that. The Brahmin, the top layer, they would never do that. There's been many, many millions of these Dalit, these untouchables, coming to Christ. Because they've got less to lose. But man, it's hard to convert a Brahmin at the top. They've got so much to lose. But we need to realize everything we have is from God. It's not ours. We didn't earn it. Let's keep looking through the story. <laughs> so the man goes away sad. And Jesus says, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples are amazed. And they're amazed because their belief is, but if you're rich, that means God is for you. God has blessed you. God is happy with you. But how could this be? And so Jesus says it again. It's so hard for people who put their trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. Harder for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. He's saying it's impossible. And so, rightly, they say, well, who then can be saved? And Jesus said, with man, it's impossible. And it is impossible. None of us can get to God on our own efforts. Even if you gave away everything you owned, and that was what you were trusting in, that would not get you to God either. It's an act of grace. You are saved by grace. This man had a certain view of economics and a certain view of his interaction with God. It went like this. I work really hard. I get what I have and I don't share it with anyone else. I work really hard for things that I have and I don't share it with everyone else. But Jesus introduces us to a new kind of economics. It's called kingdom economics. Some of you may have experienced it before. It goes like this. I focus on doing what God wants me to do. It doesn't mean you don't work necessarily, but I focus on doing what God wants me to do. And when I see someone with a need, I give to them freely without expecting anything back. I don't give a loan. I give a gift. And then when I have a need, God uses others to give to me freely. Kingdom economics. And what it does is it takes your focus off money and onto God. Because if... You become obsessed with wealth. Now, you can become obsessed with wealth as a poor or rich person. When I was working in southern China with a tiny tribal group down there, they were very poor. And most of them seemed to believe with all their heart, if only I had more money, my life would be perfect. They hadn't had the chance to be rich enough to realize it wasn't true. So in my mind, the rich are even stupider because... We've experienced the emptiness of wealth, but we still want to hold on. And so it's impossible for man. Only God can change our hearts. And here's the thing. If you focus on trying to be good enough to give away your stuff or, or to get rid of the thing that's your coconut trapping you, that's stopping you in, in following Jesus, you just become proud or in despair. The way... To be free of all this is to make Jesus your treasure. Because you become like what you worship. 
If you worship money or your family or a relationship or your career or your hobby, you become more and more like that thing that you're worshiping. So if you worship money, you become like money. Lifeless, heartless, empty. Uh, concerned with things that aren't eternal. But if you worship God, you become more like God. You become more like God. So don't be proud and don't be in despair. Rather, throw yourself on the mercy of God. God, I am a sinner. Please forgive me. See, because... The theology of this man in the story is the do theology. What do I have to do? But the theology that Jesus was trying to tell him was the done theology. It's already been done. Jesus has done it. Now I'm your treasure. Your confidence, your joy is not in your achievement. It's in what Jesus has done for you. And the mystery is, as you put your eyes on Jesus... Suddenly, more and more, you actually get the power to let go of things because you're so enamored. You're so enraptured with Jesus. And so the other things just start paling in significance. When I uh, got engaged to Regine, I had to buy her an engagement ring. And at that point, it was the most money I'd ever spent on anything in my life. That tells you how expensive the cars were that I bought. <laughs> but I think I've spent more on repairs probably. <laughs> I worked and worked for months and months and months for this tiny little thing. But of course, it wasn't about that. I wanted Regine. I wanted her. I had to have her. And when you want something bad enough, you just don't care what you have to give up. It's so funny when people go to the Apple store and they buy that really expensive thing. They're not thinking, gee, it's hard to part with this money. They're like, ooh, I can't wait to get this gadget home and start using it, right? The money becomes insignificant. Take my money now. Yes, I got this thing. Awesome. And the point of this story is not, are you doing enough? The answer is no. You're not doing enough. You can't do enough. Jesus has done it. He is not a genie who's going to make your life comfortable. He is not a genie whose purpose is to give you treasure. He is your treasure. When Jesus was teaching, he would complain because people would come to him after he'd done miracles like feeding the 5,000. And he'd say, you come to me because I gave you bread. You should work for the bread that comes from heaven. And he said, I am the bread of life who came down from heaven. Jesus is the treasure. I was thinking about all this and thought of a funny illustration Regine uh, likes to cook for me, and I like to eat. But sometimes if I'm late back from something, I get so hungry that I'm on the way home and I, and I stop at you know, a convenience store, a, a, a servo. Ah, I'm so hungry. I'm just going to buy a Mars bar. I'm, I'm so hungry, I just might get a packet of Twisties as well. And I need a bottle of water to go down with it. <laughs> So I'm driving and eating, eating, eating. Oh, I feel so much better now. And I get home, and Regine has prepared this wonderful meal. I'm like, oh, darling, I'm not very hungry. 
<laughs> How do you think she feels? Ooh, I got in trouble a few times for that. <laughs> God has an awesome meal for you, but you're filling yourself with Mars bars. And you can't imagine a good meal because all you've had is Mars bars. God wants you to step out in faith. He wants you to trust him. If you're grasping onto the things he's given you, there's no more room for you to lift your hands up and take something else to take more. See, the promise of this story is whoever gives up houses, land, father, mother, brother, sister, child for me will not fail to get a hundred times more in this life. It's kingdom economics. God will take care of you. You enter the kingdom of God, suddenly your family becomes the biggest family in the world. But you won't experience it until you stop eating the Mars bars on the way home. You've got to leave enough room in your stomach to take it in. But if you're filling your affections, your time, if your joys become second-rate food, quick satisfaction, feel a bit sick afterwards like McDonald's, and it ruins your intimacy with God, you see, when I go home and have a, a meal that my wife has prepared, and I say, and I eat a lot, right? And I finish it. And maybe I get seconds. She feels good, right? I feel good. I say, thank you, darling. That was delicious. She says, yeah, that's good. We get closer. God wants to take you on an adventure where he shows you just how much he can provide for you. He wants to take you on an adventure where he becomes your treasure. And you say, thank you, God. And you go, wow, God is able. I didn't know how he was going to do it, and God did it. We've experienced that so much in our life. You give God a little inch, and he gives you a mile. You trust him a little, little bit, and he shows you so much. You're missing out. You're missing out. The point is not, do you sell your possessions or not? The point is, where's your treasure? Because when your treasure becomes Christ. It's so easy just to give stuff up. Yeah, whatever, I'm looking at Jesus. Yeah, whatever. You know, uh, some of my friends whose fathers used to drink too much would say, I need to borrow some money, but I've got to wait till dad's drunk before I ask. Because when he's drunk, he doesn't care. <laughs> and when you become drunk on the glory of, of, of how great Jesus is, of how faithful Jesus is, how good Jesus is, you become like that. Oh, someone needs 100 bucks, whatever. Oh, someone needs this, whatever. Oh, God wants me to do this, whatever. Because you're obsessed, you're drunk with God. And he's satisfying you. But if you don't leave room in your heart, how can you know the provision of God, the faithfulness of God, the satisfaction of God? What's the coconut in your life? What's holding you back? Is it a relationship? That God's saying no, and you go, but I can't let go. Is it a hobby, which is chewing up all your time? Hobbies aren't bad, but they can become bad. Is it some project you're working on? Is it your career? What's the focus of your life? What's the treasure? What's the compass, the GPS of your life? Where are you heading? Where are your thoughts? Where are your affections? What are you really concerned about? And are you doing anything in your life where you have to trust God? Or are you trusting in your wealth? 
and your riches. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Australia is famous for its warning signs. Warning, great white shark seen here. Warning, kangaroos. And for tourists, warning, drop bears. But I think there should be a warning sign when you come to the airport in Australia. Warning, wealth here. The Bible tells us that money, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And many who have loved money have pierced themselves with many wounds and strayed from the faith. Don't think that you're good enough, that you're strong enough to withhold against the negative power of wealth. Have a healthy fear of wealth. A healthy fear. A lot of us fear not having enough. But there's a proverb that says, God, don't make me poor because I might rob and dishonor your name. But also don't make me rich because I might forget you. Give me just enough. Do you have that healthy fear? Have you guarded your heart? Have you had an awareness that your heart can be taken away by wealth? Are you just cruising through? I'll be all right. More, more, more. I'll be all right. More, more, more. I'll be all right. And before you know it, you can't see the beauty of Christ anymore. But many who are first now will be last later. Many who are last now will be first later. Don't worry about what other people think of you. Don't be concerned that your needs won't be met. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. You can trust God and he wants to show you even more just how much you can trust him. Some of you are facing decisions where you can keep holding on to something you've known or you can let go and move into a greater trust of God where you have to put more of your trust on God and less on the things you can see. And I just want to encourage you, do it. Step out. Look at all the things that rich young man missed. The rich young man had FOMO for his possessions. He didn't want to miss out on his possessions. He should have had FOMO for what God could have given him in the invitation that he had. And we've all got an invitation to walk into greater faith, greater service, greater love, a greater treasuring of Christ. And specifically on the money thing, I want to give you just a small suggestion. If this sermon has really prodded you and you feel really uncomfortable, don't just go home sad. If you think God is telling you that you have a problem with money, then think of something that you want but you don't need. Sell it and give the money to the poor. Not because it gets you to heaven, but because you realize everything is a gift from God. And out of obedience and gratefulness to what God has already done for you. And as a way to treasure Christ more. And see where it leads. Who knows? I'm not going to sit here and say, none of you should sell all your possessions. I don't know. 
Maybe God wants one of you to sell all your possessions. You see, it's so interesting. When Jesus talked to this man, what does it say before he told him, sell all your possessions? It says Jesus loved him. Now, some of us wish Jesus would love us by telling us, you need more stuff. But the most loving thing Jesus could do for this man was to tell him to smash his idols, sell everything you have, give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Now come follow me. Jesus wasn't asking him to sell all his stuff, sit at home and starve to death. He was telling him to follow me. See, there's a context to it. Jesus himself and the disciples were supported, it says in um, one of the Gospels, by uh, some of the women who followed him. They supported him out of their own means. For some of you, it may mean going into a different situation where you have to rely on other people for your money. Maybe money is not your problem. Maybe it's something else. For a lot of teenagers, it's a relationship that God doesn't approve of. And you're deriving a lot of satisfaction, a lot of sense of love, affirmation. Trust God for that love and affirmation. If you're sensing in your heart, this is not of God. Run. Run now. Trust God. It's always the same message. Repentance and faith. For the rich young ruler, repentance meant selling all his possessions. Faith meant following Jesus. I don't know what it is for you. But don't leave this room sad. It's so interesting to compare the stories of people who willingly gave stuff up compared to people who didn't. The people who willingly gave stuff up were so happy. Look at Zacchaeus. Jesus says, tonight I'm going to eat Today I'm going to eat at your house. My house? Oh, he runs down. He's so happy. He's like, I give away half my possessions. He's so happy. And in the parable of the treasure hidden in the field, it says that the man with joy, when he found the treasure in the the field, hid it again and sold everything he had and bought the field. With joy. And this is not a compelled thing. It has to come from being enamored with Christ. It has to come because you just want Jesus so bad that everything else pales in significance. Not a guilt trip. Not a twist your arm. Come on, be more good. It's not about that. It's about treasuring Christ and letting everything else pale into significance. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will become strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Let's pray. Father, we need your help. Please forgive us, change us. Please help us to treasure you above all else.